Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downey. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on Duckstream. I am your host, Alexis Downey, also known as Daphne Blake today, part of the Mystery Machine crew. And it looks like we've got another mystery on our hands. Well, not really, actually, because that mystery was solved when the Anaheim Ducks won their game last night at Honda Center over the Toronto Maple Leafs. Happy Halloween! Before I get to last night's game, I want to touch on the big news from the team this morning. The Ducks announced that Jamie Drysdale will be out approximately four to six months with a torn labrum. He will undergo surgery soon. Drysdale took a hit in Friday's game versus Vegas from William Carrier in the second period. He was in clear discomfort when he was skating off the ice, holding his arm. This is really tough for Drysdale. I really feel for him. A young star on our defensive core. He had some bright spots in his play through the season so far, getting some looks on the power play unit and was a big part of the defense. So the Ducks will have to find a way to rework their defensive lines without him. We saw that a little bit last night and they were successful, but ultimately this is a tough loss for the team. Now, if you were at the Ducks game last night, then you know what a thriller it was. A come from behind four to three overtime win the game winner coming from Trevor Zegras. The Leafs were on their third road game in four days. We knew this was going to be a game of two very motivated teams. The Leafs coming in with some fatigue and the Ducks hoping to capitalize on that and that they did. The team saw goals from Jakob Silverberg, Dmitry Kulikov, and two from Trevor Zegras. It was also a night of celebration for Dia de Muertos. Lots of different activations for fans as well as giveaways highlighted the evening. So here are some of AD's takeaways from last night's game. And certainly there are a lot of them today. It was great to see a new face on the score sheet, including someone from the blue line. Dmitry Kulikov was the first Ducks defenseman to score a goal this season. Always good to get scoring from other areas of the team. Another thing, the Ducks did a really good job in limiting Toronto's shots. The ones that they were getting off, though, were goal-scoring opportunities. However, I thought overall the team did a nice job of limiting them, especially in that second period. The team has just continued to look improved overall. The penalty kill did allow one early from Austin Matthews, but the five-on-five five was certainly more solid, too. I thought the team did a good job with their zone entrances, and they had a really strong net presence, especially once again in that second period. I think that period really set the tone for the Ducks, and that is why they were able to be successful last night. There were a couple tough calls, though, for the team. A penalty shot in the third period that resulted in Kerfoot shooting for Toronto. He did go on to miss the shot, which was a huge momentum shift in the game. This is where Z came in to score not long after that to cut the game to a 3-2 lead for Toronto. Now, this was interesting. There was a disallowed goal from Frank Petrano in front of the net. It was certainly controversial on Twitter. Kevin Shattenkirk took the shot from the blue line. Frank Vetrano was in the lane. The puck bounced off of him. He was able to settle the puck and then put it in the back of the net. But what Toronto did decide to challenge for was goalie interference. Adam Henrique was able to get into the middle there, 
bodied the Maple Leafs defenseman in front of the net. I actually personally thought it was a really good play by Henrique, and I didn't really see necessarily the goalie interference, but ultimately the officials in Toronto did decide differently, and the goal call was reversed. It wasn't long after, though, in overtime that Zegras netted the game winner. The crowd was amazing. The energy in the Honda Center last night was just truly out of this world. Zegras was really pumped up after the game and talking with him in the locker room. He leads the team now with six goals. We also heard from head coach Dallas Akins after the game, and he shared something interesting. The team held a full team meeting on Saturday where both players and coaches spoke. He said that they really laid it all out there, and it sounds like it was exactly what the group needed ahead of this big game. And here are some more thoughts on the game that Dallas Akins shared with us. And it's a hard thing to wrap your head around, but uh, I thought our, our, our guys tonight uh, to a T, the whole team uh, dug in. Uh, we were up against the wall in a number of areas tonight. Uh, we were uh, playing from behind. Uh, we we, we uh, were, were battling through some things where we didn't think we were maybe being treated fairly uh, in the game penalty-wise. Um, but our, our guys stuck with it, and, and uh, I, I think it's a big step in, in, in the right direction. We still have lots of things we got to work on, um, but, but certainly getting a win and in that fashion uh, certainly helps our mindset. Now, during the post game, Dallas did note the penalties that happened against the Ducks. He said that he felt the penalty shot call was confusing, but the goalie interference can really just go either way. He has full faith in the guys in Toronto, and that's just the way the game is sometimes. Like I mentioned, a lot of exciting things happening at Honda Center last night. A live muralist, beanie giveaway, a mariachi group. The team even wore special design jerseys during warmups. Those jerseys were designed by longtime Ducks fan and local tattooer Gustavo Jimes. I had the chance to talk with Gus last week on how much the opportunity to design the jerseys meant to him. And now you're going to be creating the first ever Dia de Muertos jersey for Sunday's game. Yeah. That's got to be really special for you. Oh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's pretty amazing. It's still, it's hit me, but I don't think until I'm at the arena and I see him coming through the tunnels and I see it on the ice, on the screen, like the Jumbotron, on social media, that it's just going to be like, this is this is insane. Emotional. Yeah, I'm sure. very. I, I, even right now, <laughs> I'm getting worked up a little bit. Um, but I, I'm so excited. I'm 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 taking my parents, and oh. I know that's going to be huge for them too. Um, just because I mean, they took me to my first games. You know, they mm. they even when they were like, "What is this sport?" <laughs> when they did not understand anything about it. Um, you know, to to kind of just show them like full circle, like because of tattooing and doing art and my love for hockey and supporting you know my hometown of Anaheim like it's all just kind of come full circle now let's talk about the design for mm -hmm. the jersey yeah obviously it's not out yet it's but not. what was what was your inspiration um I basically I mean when it comes to like the other muertos in general for me when I celebrate it I love that there is a it's a tradition to remember the past um, but also it's very beautiful, mm -hmm. bright colors, super bold, everything. Um, 
And for that's kind of what I wanted to go with. Uh, I just wanted to do something that honors the past um, with what is current, keeping my Mexican roots also involved with like the color schemes and stuff. Um, just want to do something bright and represents the past. And now fans, I'm sure they're, they're going to be able to see these jerseys during mm-hmm. warmups. Right. And you mentioned bringing your parents there. Yeah. What is, I'm, it's going to be emotional, but Very. how cool will it to be? Will it be to see the fans even reacting to seeing the jerseys? I'm ex- I mean, I'm excited <laughs> for that. I'm slightly nervous too. <laughs> um, but I think, I think people, one, people that know me or fans that I've got to meet from either tattooing them, I've done maybe a Ducks tattoo on them or a hockey related tattoo or whatever. I think it just, we've always found like a common love for the game. And I think any fan that knows who I am now and the ones that don't know will will know I put a lot of effort into Mm -hmm. this. And it wasn't like a, I don't know, let's just do this type of thing, you know? Um, Because when it comes to certain things like, when it comes to, you know, certain holidays and events like this, it can be gimmicky for all kinds of things, but you can always tell when someone really spends the time to take their, the takes the time to kind of understand the background of it and how to honor it in the right way. Another big part of the night was the alternate Spanish language broadcast that was led by Erwin Igreros and Jesse Baltron. The broadcast was played here on Duckstream. And to recap the big night, I caught up with Erwin this morning before he headed out of town. Listen in this next segment. Joining us now on Light the Lamp is Erwin Igreros, the voice of our Spanish language broadcast last night. Erwin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me. Great to uh, to talk to you today. And last night was quite an exciting game. I mean, what was your experience like? I know that was your third time calling a Ducks hockey game for us. I mean, every year it gets better, obviously. I mean, uh, hockey as it is, is a very fast game and very exciting. I mean, I have always told people that when you watch a hockey game for the first time, either you're going to like it or you're not going to like it. And when I watched the first hockey game myself, I fell in love with it. So obviously uh, every year the broadcast gets better. Uh, I get more comfortable, um, you know, in my surroundings, especially because I was away for the game for quite some time. But coming back is great. And it obviously helps that the three times that I've been able to call a game for you guys we have won all three. Oh, so that's a hint there but uh, <laughs> yeah I, it sounds like you might be our good luck charm in that sense right <laughs> well last night was a thrilling end trevor zegris netting the game winner uh you know how do you prepare for a moment like that you don't you just <laughs> let it happen um you know, I've been in broadcasting for quite some time now, and I, at the beginning, when I first started, uh, you know, I would mentally try to get ready for, for moments like that, and that's usually when mistakes happen. Uh, now, I just let the moment happen, and that's what, what happened um, last night, right? I mean, uh, we went all, on overtime, and I was, okay, let's hope that we win because I really want to get excited. I don't mm-hmm. want to just 
call that go for the opposing team and go home a loser. <laughs> and um, I guess that's usually what happens uh, in, in sport. Just let it happen and, and then you react to it. And I want to go a little bit back to you mentioned your past and your path to broadcasting. Uh, where did that all begin for you? Well, uh, I started doing hockey for the San Jose Sharks back in 1995. They did um, all the home games, and I was part of that. That's, that was my introduction to, to hockey. Then, for some reason that I still don't know, the broadcast stopped. And then, just by chance, um, Tiffany, I think it was, found me through LinkedIn um, and offered me the opportunity to do this game in 2019, Dia de los Muertos. So when I said I was away for the game for quite some time, I think it was like 20 years, 25 years that I was away from the game, but still followed it, you know, but I, I got excited about it. So obviously it's not learning the game again because you already know the game and not learning how to broadcast the game because you have done it. It was more, a lot of more reading and getting familiar with the players, um, more familiar with the different terminology because every sport has its own terminology. And now when you add a new sport like hockey to Spanish, now you kind of figure, okay, wait a minute. Uh, there's a lot of terminology. How are we going to translate certain terms? Do they have a little translation that will make sense? Or do I invent something that will give a little bit of a color to, to the broadcast? Mm -hmm. And your background is in baseball with the San Francisco Giants. Uh, you know, where does the passion for baseball come from? Again, I immigrated to the United States when I was 12 years old. And uh, being so young and coming from a small country in Central America, Guatemala, obviously there is no baseball. Uh, obviously there is no hockey. <laughs> um, there is soccer. That's what they play. But coming out at, at such a young age, you have no choice but to adapt to the culture. Mm -hmm. And adapting to the culture is not just making the effort to learn the language, making the effort to um, get used to the new type of foods that you're going to have here in the States, but that also entails the sports, right? So mm -hmm. baseball, football, and basketball were three sports that I was uh, exposed to, and more baseball. And, you know, I... When I came to San Francisco, but I didn't start following baseball until I moved to Oakland and I started watching baseball games. And I think that's where the passion started. I was playing it in high school. I played on a Saturday, Sunday league just for fun to keep myself occupied. And then the opportunity came to do broadcast back in 1988 for the Oakland A's. And how much of a, a ride has it been over the years being able to call all these different games? Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, it's, it makes me feel old when I tell people, you know, my introduction to professional baseball was three straight World Series trips with the Oakland A's. Wow. 88, 89, and 90. And at a such young age, you really don't value what you're experiencing because you think, ah, oh, you know, this is a yearly thing. Uh, then, you know, I moved to, to the San Francisco Giants. And again, I get an opportunity to go to four World Series, losing one to the Angels and winning, you know, the three in 2010, 12, and 14. 
So in between that, there's have been a lot of historic moments. Ricky Henderson breaking the stolen base record uh, in baseball, you know, Barry Bonds home run, et cetera. I mean, I can go on and on and list all the uh, exciting moments that I have experienced in my life in baseball. Do you have a favorite story from that? Even though you said you have a lot of exciting moments, is there is there a story that sticks out to you maybe with a player or something like that? You know, to, to be honest with you, there's a lot like you just said. But the one that sticks the most is when the Giants won the 2010 World Series. Uh, my broadcast partner, Tito Fuentes, who wore the uniform and played for the Giants, um, you know, really good second baseman. He's my uh, analyst. Uh, in the broadcast booth and when the Giants won the World Series in 2010 against the Rangers. You know, there were tears coming out of his eyes uh, of the excitement. And then when I broke for a commercial break, he tells me, you know, it's unbelievable how funny the sport is. You know, I played for so many years wanting to win a World Series, but I never did it as a player. And here I am winning the first World Series as a broadcaster. Mm. So that's something that will always stick to my head. I will never forget it because, you know, here you have, you know, a former baseball player with tears of emotion of winning his first World Series as a broadcaster. And obviously it means a lot because he was the first one for the city of San Francisco. Absolutely. Yeah. I can imagine that had to be an emotional moment for you too. It was, it was because, uh, you know, when when you're a broadcaster, sometimes, you know, you really don't think too much about what you do through the whole year. A lot is it's about the players, obviously. Mm -hmm. Right. They're the ones that are, you know, working out. They're the ones that are doing all the groundwork. We just sit behind the microphone and call the action. But there is work that we do. You know, there's preparation. You know, there's you know, talking to the players, getting to know them, getting uh, some type of information that will help you in the broadcast booth. So, yeah, there's excitement because in an indirect way, you're you're part of the team. You know, you're not mm -hmm. the team, but you're part of it because you see all the effort that goes in in a, in a baseball season. It's 162 games, but the season for a lot of the players, including for broadcasters, you know, starts in February when spring training starts and and if you're lucky, it continues through October. What is it like building those relationships with the players? It's great. Um, you know, you, you know, there's some players that will open up and share stories, you know, personal stories about them. There's players that will teach you the game mm -hmm. because as a broadcaster, that's one thing that you have to always realize. You know, a lot of us did play the game, but never in the level that they play it as a professional player. So, you know, like myself, for example, I have an idea. You know, I can describe a swing. I can describe a lot of stuff. But when you hear it from a player, it kind of gives you a different perspective when mm -hmm. you're behind the microphone calling the action. And then, um, you know, when you're able to talk to the human, not the player, but the human, uh, and you get stories about them, about their family, you get to know them, and, and you get to see how passionate they are about their family lives, their beliefs, you know, if they're a very spiritual person. And those are stories that you're able to take up to the broadcast booth. So now you humanize the player, and that kind of helps a lot. And it's one of the things that I love about baseball. You know, it's such a slow game, 
-hmm. but it's not slow in the in the sense that it's boring. It's slow because it gives you an opportunity to share all those stories. Absolutely. And it is a little bit tougher on the hockey end because the game is so quick that it's you have to find those moments where stories might be more fitting. Like uh, you know, the, <laughs> the hockey hockey's so fast, you know, like <laughs> like in intermissions. And even last night I was telling Jesse, you know, it's really funny. You know, here I am saying, you know, the puck is on the left side of the rink, and by the time I'm finishing the sentence, the puck's on the other end of the <laughs> rink. It's like, Really, am I that slow? You know, <laughs> the action or the game is just too fast. And uh, and yeah, you're you're right because um, you know Jesse's kids were with him yesterday, and and they said, "Oh, you're the one that talks the most. Daddy doesn't <laughs> talk that much." And then Jesse goes, "Well, yeah. What happens is that there's not much time for me to say until you know the puck stops." And and yeah, uh, to your point, it's kind of hard to kind of share those stories, but. You know, the good thing is that you do have intermission times and that's where maybe you can, you know, interject and share stories that you may have with uh, certain of the skaters. And having the experience of being a part of Dia de Muertos Night and being able to bring that cultural experience to hockey. I mean, what is that like? Just being able to share that with the fans and people that were listening. Well, for me, being in in the broadcast industry for 35 years, I feel so proud that slowly a lot of the organizations, professional organizations are taking that extra step to recognize us, to see that we are fans of the game. You know, um, for so many years, there was this stereotype that, ah, oh, you know, Hispanics, they only like soccer. Oh, they don't like baseball. But somehow, you know, we all are realizing that we are in the United States and we are adapting to the culture. So what you guys are doing, you know, since 2019, I see a great progress. I see the product getting better and better. I mean, yesterday I saw a bigger, um, how can I say, there was more activity, more fan mm -hmm. interaction. For Dia de los Muertos, I mean, I felt so proud that the mariachi played the Canadian and uh, and the American national anthem, which, mm -hmm. you know, I have never seen before. The lineups in Spanish, the broadcast in Spanish, I know it's one a year, but you know what? It says a lot, you know, and, um, you know, for those fans that say, you know, we should do more. And now I talk about we, right? Because now <laughs> I'm part of you guys. You know, that we should do more. Well, in time. It will take time. There are so many different moving parts that a lot of people don't realize that have to come together in order to do more games. But doing one, it just um, makes you feel proud. I mean, in 2019, uh, when I got called for the first time and I was doing, you know, trying to do my, my homework, I realized that the Ducks had never done a game in Spanish. And I was very surprised. Mm -hmm. So, you know, from the inception of the, of the franchise to 2019, to 2022, you know, yeah, the pandemic uh, got in between us to to do something more, but it feel, it makes me feel proud. It makes me feel proud, and I'm sure that a lot of uh, my Hispanic uh, friends in the community are really proud to see that, that the Anaheim Ducks are doing um, something for us. 
Erwin, it was great to have you on the broadcast and awesome to have you join me here on Light the Lamp. Uh, thank you once again. And your calls last night were so awesome. Alexis, thank you for having me. Let's go coast to coast now to hear some of the best goal calls from around the NHL from over the weekend, beginning with the Chicago Blackhawks and Minnesota Wild game on Sunday. Tied at two in the third period, Patrick Kane sent a pass up ice to Andreas Athanasiu, who dangled his way past Marc-Andre Fleury to the net. Listen to the call by Blackhawks' John Wideman. Kane, he'll move it at center ice. Athanasiu over the wild line. We're back and he scores! <laughs> Roll the highlight reel! Andreas Athanasiu undressed the wild defenseman Dumbo on this rush. Put the puck through his legs, caught it on the backhand, and stuck it into the top shelf. It's 3-2 in favor of the Hawks. Minnesota did go on to get the win, though, in the shootout. A win for Marc-Andre Fleury against his former team. Next up, the Vegas Golden Knights and Winnipeg Jets on Sunday. Something about those overtime games. Jack Eichel, a player I just talked about on Friday, wanting to have a big season, had a big overtime goal. Listen to the call by Winnipeg's radio play-by-play, -play, Paul Edmonds. 22 seconds to go in overtime. Theodore now for Eichel, off the bench. Eichel carving his way in. Eichel behind the net. Eichel one hand on the stick. Now two again. High slot down to 10 seconds to go. Eichel keeps it alive in the line. Eichel to the backhand. Eichel out in front of shot, he scores. The midterms are coming up at the end of the month, and in Nevada tonight, they like Ike. He wins it to Jack Eichel. Two to one, the final score in overtime. Now going back to Saturday, the Edmonton Oilers taking on the Calgary Flames, the Battle of Alberta. We always know that this matchup is not going to disappoint. Zach Hyman netted two in the Oilers' 3-2 to two win, but Connor McDavid's goal in the third period was the one that really snuck its way in. Listen to the call from Ched Radio, 6.30 a.m. Backlund off the boards. Lewis was hammered by Holloway. Amalainen takes over, circles behind his own net, and off to Tyson Berry. With Backlund pressing him, he'll give it up for Devin Shore, and the Oilers bust out. Shore jitterbugging his way in from the right-hand side. On his backhand, protects against Zadorov, left it in the opposite corner for Holloway. Brett Ritchie able to take the puck outside the zone off to center ice. And here's Kevin Rooney, left wing shot. And that was mostly neutralized by CeCe. Now Lucic canceled out by Nurse and Derek Ryan. Holloway off the board. Smart play to Cody CeCe. One on two, so he'll just hit the red line and shoot it in. Taken off the boards. Quick shot, score! Connor McDavid knew Markstrom was not yet back in his crease. Let it fly and found the back of the net. We are tied at two. Is it possible that Dylan Holloway is going to get his first NHL point? He freed the puck up the middle and CC activated. Everybody was changing. He dumped it in and McDavid flew in and just directed it to the net. And Markstrom will not be happy with that one. Wow. Well, it's Monday, so you know what that means. It is Mailbag Monday, and we're going to keep it short today. Just one question. The best Halloween costume from around the NHL. I love that question because NHL players continuously impress me every year with their creativity in their costumes. I feel like, honestly, maybe they're the best league of players and athletes dressing up for Halloween every year. 
So a couple of my favorites, Senators Alex Dabrinkit and his wife did Mario, Princess Peach, and Baby Toad with their little baby. That was so cute. On the NHL's Instagram page, another one from the NHL's Instagram page and Twitter, Yessi Pugliarvi from Edmonton and his girlfriend doing Nemo and Darla with her in a bag for Nemo. I was blown away by that one. Really funny, and I think that they won it all for that. Remember, you can submit questions anytime by emailing DuckStream at AnaheimDucks.com or tweeting at DuckStream on Twitter for next Monday's mailbag. It's time for my final quack for this episode where I share my last thoughts before the end of the show. Happy Halloween once again. I hope you have a fun, safe night, whatever you are doing. Halloween used to be one of my favorite holidays as a kid, minus all of the scary stuff. I never really liked that part, but I loved to dress up and get the big candy bars. That was one of the best parts, too. And I have a hot take with this. My favorite chocolate candy bar is the Baby Ruth bar. If you've ever heard of it, it's delicious. Most people, I feel like it's Reese's or Kit Kat or something like that. But for me, it's Baby Ruth. Tweet at me. Let me know what your favorite Halloween candy or candy in general is. Thanks for listening to Light the Lamp. I'm Daphne Blake. Creepers. I mean, Alexis Downey. Come back again for lots more hockey talk on Duckstream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on Duckstream.